You're gonna feel something. The world's coming to an end, so you might as well sit down and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 79. My name's Jakob. My name's Nick. And my name's Randy. Awesome. Glad to have you all with us. Um, you know, we've just we've just closed our Animal Attack Summer, so we're doing something else not animal related. However, before we do this... <clears throat> Might as well just quick usual plug of what we have going on on our Patreon. So quick reminder until the end of August, the Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me episode of our David Lynch Marathon is still available for free on patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. So you can go ahead and, and go there and listen to it or just go through our website uncutgemspodcast.com. You can go that way, find the episode and do and, and do the same. Also, I might as well just mention that what, what we're gonna do in August as well. So the plan for August, just in general for the show is, because if you're a listener to the show, you should know <laughs> that Nicolo is a massive John Woo fan. And then in the spirit of, um, you know, taking taking people's names and splicing them into, uh, or or make, making fun, funny names out of months, like um, I think Nicolo, you were just about on a, on, on a podcast where, you know, like the theme was July, as in from Jallo. <laughs> love it which is yeah. just great like someone needs to do a super cut of like all the podcasts out there who just tried to get <laughs> take have funny takes on months just to sit their themes there's probably hundreds of cool, cool creative things anyway so the point i'm trying to make is next month is a woo goose because john woo is one of your favorite filmmakers so we're gonna go through... there you go <laughs> so we're gonna go the through um, the man's all of his Hollywood films, so from Hard Target all the way to Paycheck. Minus Mission Impossible 2. Minus, yes, exactly. Minus Mission because Impossible 2. We talked two, about it last year. That's it. So go ahead and listen. From last year, we had Jack on this for as well, so that was a good episode. It was a fun combo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's going to happen. And in addition to this, we're going to talk Hard Boiled as a as a bonus tie-in for our Patreon, and I think also we'll, we decided to do a bit of a J- JCVD-themed <laughs> retrospective with, with with a slant of JC, Jean-Claude Van Damme films um, directed by Hong Kong filmmakers. So I think the plan is, correct me if I'm wrong, Maximum Risk, Double Team, yep. Knockoff? Yeah. Yes, that's the three. There it is. And also David Lynch, David Lynch Marathon, almost said retrospective, plods along and we'll be talking lost highway anyway enough enough me plugging let's just start talking so today what we're doing is something completely unrelated to anything else so we're talking about deep impact what do you know about Yelly? i know you should have picked a better cover story than a sick wife see what i tell you We'd always thought the deadline for going public was the publication of the budget, since we've spent more money than we can hide. But the budget comes out in two weeks. I don't suppose I could convince you to sit on this for two weeks. No such thing as two weeks in the news business. And I can't appeal to your sense of what's in the nation's best interest. 
always thought the truth was in the nation's best interest. Deep Impact was directed by Mimi uh, Leader, who before that did uh, film, made, a, made a film called The Peacemaker. I think that was her debut. And then she's probably most recently known for directing on the basis of sex. Uh, yeah. So the and yeah, the, so ap- was, the Apple hmm? series, the Apple series, was and, oh, the Morning Glory the morning show. Morning, morning show. show. Yep. Morning show. Steve uh, Rowland. And is it Jennifer Aniston? Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon. There you go. So, uh, so she's, I mean, she, she's directed a few films, but I think she's mostly active in TV these days. I mean, it's a separate story. I hope we're, we're going to get to this because I have a feeling that someone did her dirty in terms of her Hollywood involvement. Anyway, the movie tells stories of, I don't know, few people, a journalist, a high school kid, a crew of astronauts as a massive comet is on its way to collide with Earth and wipe out all life on it. And then we get to observe how they uh, how they cope with their impending doom, I suppose. Or try to stop it, some of them at least. Anyway, so the idea for making uh, what ended up being Deep Impact dates all back to all the way to the 70s, to the to the you know, the era of disaster films. Uh, where Zanuck and Brown, if you're if you're not aware of these names, the guys who produced Jaws. Um, they wanted to remake When Worlds Collide. That was a 1951 science fiction film. So they tried to kind of just, I don't know, make it happen, but nothing kind of came together. So the film was kind of stuck in a bit of a development hell for, I want to say, like at least 20 years. And in the 90s, they, they decided, okay, well, they had they had a good angle on this and they wanted Steven Spielberg to direct it. And Spielberg actually, at the same time, I think ha- he had acquired rights to Arthur C. Clarke's Hammer of the Gods, which is let's just call it a film about an asteroid heading for the earth um uh that's that's the book and he planned to produce and direct it and then i think as a result of zanuck and brown's drive to actually make a remake of when the worlds collide and spielberg trying to make uh, the arthur c clark adaptation happen they kind of merged the two ideas together and deep impact happened as in like this sort of idea for a script happened as a result of this so in, in the interim, Spielberg dropped out because he wanted to direct Amistad, and he did. And then he also did not want to compete uh, directorially against Armageddon, which was announced at the kind of sort of at the same time that it would be released in the in the summer that they had slated Deep Deep Impact for. However, he tapped uh, DreamWorks, the newbie in DreamWorks, who was Mimi Leader at the time, so she directed The Peacemaker in 1997 for DreamWorks, and then he said, "This lady is really good." Let's do. Let's have her do the, have a shot at this. So, the rest is history. She just she directed the film, um, you know, and stars Tia Leone, Morgan Freeman, uh, Bobby Duval, <laughs> Elijah Wood, and a few other folks. And I'm pre- I'm pretty sure I'm missing out on a on, on a on a massive name here. Vanessa Redgrave is all in there. Um, so. It was a box office success. It was released in May 1998, where Armageddon was released in July. It was at the time 10th largest opening weekend of all time, and I think a largest opening directed by a woman until Twilight happened. Um, so the film was massively successful and kind of similar to Armageddon, which is, had a worse opening but was more profitable overall. But they both had a bit of a mixed critical reception. Like people kind of were just like, what is this drama doing in my disaster film? I think that was the sort of <laughs> the consensus. Um, yeah, and that, and 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 since then, I have a feeling that this film, this film, kind of disappeared from from the sort of surface of of the zeitgeist because effectively, I have a feeling Armageddon 
um, became the more memorable of the two. Like there's in in the famous cases of um, the, the sort of du double f f films about the same thing that happened and happened to be released over the same summer. I think this is the one that got forgotten. So yeah, let's just open our our deliberations on this. So what's what's your take on on Deep Impact? Who wants to go first? I will. I saw Deep Impact in the summer of 1998 in theaters, and I hated it at the time. <laughs> it was quite possibly my least favorite film of the year. I really despised it for some reason. But now, years and years and years later, um, and you know, all kinds of maturity has occurred in me, I am happy to look at this, and I welcome this rewatch to see the nature of my film snobbery at the time, which probably was a thing. You know, I was looking for the cooler independent 90s uh, stuff, and I did sort of turn my nose up at uh, this, you know, big budget schlock. So uh, I tackled this this week, willing to assess this with a more open-minded perspective. And this is a comet movie. It's a disaster movie. It's, it's framed with these underpinning relationships that you talked about, Jacob, and I realize now that this doesn't have to be, these relationships don't have to be ordinary people or CODA to work. Um, and I also have a little bit of a new outlook maybe on disaster movies, having talked about, you know, public safety over the last four weeks in our animal attack series. Um, and also too, having just, you know, lived and observed a number of global catastrophes uh, from afar over the last 25 years, like 9-11 and the tsunamis in 2004 and 2011, the burning down of Fort McMurray, uh, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. I think I have a new perspective now on some disasters and I'm looking at this again. And although it's not as bad as it was in 1998, it is still bad. I really don't like this movie. Um, to me, there's a big drama here that is very interesting. And that is everything that has to do with this comet and it's going to strike earth. And then meanwhile, you've got these miniature dramas alongside of it. And they just, they don't gel. They don't jive for me at all because it's sort of like going to a movie and I'm watching the movie on the big screen and the person with me through the movie keeps distracting me. Oh, I think I should go go to, go to the counter and get more butter on my popcorn. Should I go? Do you think I should go? And trying to have, the, there's this little mini drama going on beside me that I'm, that's distracting me. And that's what's happening in Deep Impact. There's a drama I want to see. There's a comet that's about to hit Earth. I want to learn more about extinction level events. But I'm dealing with Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski wanting to get married. I'm dealing with Tay Leone's orphan anxiety issues. And this stuff just drives me nuts. So I'm glad I saw it again. I think I'm a little bit fairer in assessing it this time. It's not probably the D or D plus I would have given it as a, as a grade 98, but it's not too terribly uh, much higher. Like this it's probably it's like a C minus. Right it's now. like a C. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Well, I'll go. I'll go next. Uh, let me just you know dust off negative Nick for a second here. Uh, I don't like disaster movies. <laughs> Never been particularly a big fan of them. Uh, even growing up, I think the only one I really liked 
was Armageddon. I grew up on that film. I used to love it. I haven't seen it in probably like 15 years. So it's been a while, uh, but I have good memories of that. And my favorite memory of Armageddon is the focus. It is a big, big cast of characters, of course, but it's all the astronauts going to space, father-daughter relationship, and uh, the soon-to-be son-in-law. There's drama, and it's all about that. And the asteroids, you know. And Randy, you hit the nail on the head. I just don't care about any of these characters. I was just... I was like, okay, Bobby Duval and he's all like, you know, uh, John Favreau and the rest of the space crew. Like, it's, this is interesting. It's kind of like Armageddon. It's fascinating. You know, let's focus on that. And then it just keeps cutting to other things that are boring, that are dull. And and I, I'm going to use a word that I seldom use because art, by its nature, wants to evoke emotions out of you. But this film is just manipulative. It creates these forced, dramatic moments that want to elicit a strong emotion from the audience, but it's never earned. Those are paper-thin characters that go through the emotions that you've seen them go through in countless other movies beforehand. It brings relatively nothing new to the table, if anything. And we'll definitely get to that, I think, in the conversation. What I liked the most was the ending, was when it gets dark, when it gets very serious and very tense. When it gets, when it becomes a proper disaster movie, that's when I was hooked. That's when I was in. But other than that, I still had, I still enjoyed the experience. I don't want to be too negative. Like I, I, I actively enjoyed watching the movie itself. Like I wasn't particularly bored. I was just kind of annoyed whenever we were cutting back to, to certain characters that you mentioned, Randy, especially the kids. We'll get to the kids. Teenagers? How old are they? I don't know. Okay, but yeah. Those are my initial thoughts. Well. Strapping <laughs> Yaku. You guys suck is what, what I'm trying to do. I was going to say, how are we wrong? <laughs> Let's have it. Let's have it. Look how you massacred my boy. your own opinions. They just happen, they, they just happen to be, you know. Wrong. <laughs> I don't know, like how not you, correct. How, how you t- it's like it's like I have flashbacks to Solo now. <laughs> it's just like I'm all holding the fort all by all by myself. Look, I love disaster films. I've always loved them. This is something that, that I have near and dear to my heart. This is just comfort food films for me. When I see like New York getting tr- getting trashed, <laughs> sign me up, right? The FBI I saw this film. Yeah, I I saw this film in cinemas at the time, and um, I've I've I had I have seen it a number of times since because I absolutely adore this movie. <laughs> like I like you have no idea how much I adore, adore this film, and part of the reason why is exactly why you don't like it. Because I feel there's a, there's a narrative here. I feel that people expect like him. I, I know the reason I like it mo- the most is because. It's um, you know I, I like I like like I don't know, Roland Emmerich films I like the Poseidon Adventure and then like you watch these films and there's there's the sort of the the balancing game between the spectacle and the and the localized drama like we talked about this on the sort of Godzilla episode about the idea of mm-hmm. you know like skating down the spec the drama so that you you don't look at big picture stuff the whole time so that you can kind of get invested in what's happening 
and for me one of one of the sort of guys directors in the 90s in this sort of second wave of, of disaster filmmaking who found an interesting balance between um the spectacle and the drama was was a guy called roland emmerich right who was using paper thin characters because they had to be easy and digestible because you would always have a whole bunch of them because you, if you take and some something that takes place all over, all over the world then you want to have you want to have your will smith in point b point a you want to have randy quaid in point b you want to have someone else in point c you want to have i don't know michelle obama somewhere somewhere else i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you want to have all the all these people kind of just have to be in different places at different times you have to be able to jump between them sort of reliably so you can't necessarily go into the to a lot of nuance in terms of their characters because you, you need to be able to convey things quickly because you jump between them so quickly so they were as a result a bit of a, a composed of cliches i don't mind that at all as as long as it's, because this, what underpins the thing is the spectacle and for me the sort of refreshing the refreshing part of what deep impact is is the fact it doesn't really commit to the spectacle it's almost like the spec it's like the comet is just a it's just there <laughs> it's just you don't care about this so too much and it feels more like i feel like the, the the problem with this is there is a narrative that people people didn't like what they because they expect something else they're just like i'm coming here to watch a disaster from it there's this drama that's just in my conflicts what were what you people doing i want the comet i want some uh, so meanwhile what's le- what, what you're left with is these four well let's just say three main stories and then these stories are sort of their own mini films because there's a coming of age film in here there's a paranoid thriller in here about this sort of journalist trying to figure out what the hell's going on she thinks she has a conspiracy on her hands and there is a and there's of course a man on a mission sort of situation as well in there which condenses the spectacle of a man on a mission situation that armageddon just blew to 150 minutes into i want to say like 35 minutes of screen time and to me, what kind of sells this, puts gels this together, is the fact that this dra- human drama is simple, is relatable. Fair enough, you could call it cliche, but life's cliche. Like people have shit, like problems like these as well. Like, well, here's here's a, here's a kid in high school who probably just he's trying to figure out how to talk to girls. That's a, and, and then the, the girl he ends up talking to talking talking to is the is the na- neighbor's kid because they've just grown up together. Or like here's a here's a girl here's a woman with daddy issues trying to figure out how to you know advance her career, and she clearly has something something going on. And then a lot of it is actually people actually I, I want to say I, I I might as well ask you like how how many things you can actually miss in like Tia Leone's sort of character as well. It's there's because so much is actually sold in these little nuances that it's so easy to miss. Like her dad brings her. Um, a pair of earrings. Oh, here we've got your. This is for you, like the, from his new wife, who's like two two years older than her. And then she opens it. Oh, nice earrings. Her ears aren't pierced. His his her dad has no idea that she doesn't wear earrings. Like so, but it, but no one pays attention to it because you have to move to another story. So it's almost. I have a feeling that this is a film that you really need to go and sit down and watch a few times to kind of just get these nuances on on one pass it's almost difficult to kind of figure it out but i kind of like this because the drama is simple drama is predictable and also drama is uh, relatable in a way that i could see 
like your own, you could see your own life kind of have elements of this even even though you probably won't see a comet hit the hit the planet in time because it's about stepping up to the plate it's about kind of just i don't know figuring out your differences with your, with your with your parents forgiving and shit like this and and this is something that this film focuses on and then just keeps the sort of comet stuff almost aside and i find this refreshing so pardon my friend but i really like this movie and i have no idea why you don't <laughs> I I took your advice actually because we were talking last week and you you dropped the name of the film Greenland which was on my radar for quite a while and a year or so ago I had someone that kept chirping like Greenland Greenland got to check it out so I took that opportunity and I did watch Greenland this week and I think that that got the balance correct like to me there's a, a just an, an imbalance in where I think I'm supposed to be watching and what I'm supposed to be caring about so like that's awesome that those things landed for you like to me i i just these stories hit me as a bit faux i really do like taylor leone in here but mm -hmm. but as an example the the dramas with the astronauts i sort of like robert duvall in here too but the little mini dramas with uh the the young astronaut having a kid and the other one not going to church and these things to me they they don't land like I'm not I don't spend time with these people for me to care. And I think there's an investment that doesn't go in, but the film expects me to be paid off. Whereas in Greenland, you get a full investment into uh, uh, Gerard Butler's character and his family. And the comet is completely off to the side. And I really like that approach because I think the, the focus is always ever clear this is a family film. This is a family sort of going through issues, not quite in crisis, but there are family issues there. And that is fleshed out a, a lot better. And I, for me in, in Deep Impact, it mostly just doesn't work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a balance problem for me because I wouldn't, I don't necessarily agree that, you know, this is just, it has more drama than other disaster movies. I'd even say that it has, it is fairly conventional in that sense. Um, there's probably a bit, probably less disasters throughout. It's more of a build-up to it, definitely. Um, unlike something like a 2012 or, or even Towering Inferno. But I, I think just by design, this is how um, disaster movies are made. You know, you start off, everything's all right, start introducing the characters, and then you go, whoops, some, something's wrong. What really is the problem here? Big reveal. People start panicking. Everyone reacts differently. You focus on different people. Like it, it, it does follow the structure of disaster movies to a T up until the end. In the end, it kind of plays with conventions. I'd say where it goes a bit more dramatic, a bit more tragic, uh, with a sense of hopelessness through it, which I liked. But but in terms of character, I'd say like every disaster movie is kind of like this. Um, I didn't find any of them like it's not that it's not even that any of them is particularly bad. It's just just focus on one of them or just two of those groups, but focusing on everyone. I think especially the astronauts, they suffer the most from this. You just mm -hmm. don't get to know them. Uh, the cliched, you know, birthday parties, celebration in the yard where everyone's just talking yeah. with one another and you get a brief explanation of who everyone is just doesn't necessarily cut it for me. Um, especially because after that, you never get to know them. It's not like, I don't know, I can think of the opening of... Uh, um, Tony Scott, uh, Submarines, 
Ah, why am I blurring? Crimson Tide. There you go, Crimson Tide. <laughs> like that opening starts the same kind of the same way. Like that scene where you get to know well, some. Mission to Mars starts like this. Mission to Mars starts, starts like this. this. Mm-hmm. You're correct, one hundred percent. Like. But it's all about them. Uh, even Armageddon, it's all about the astronauts. So you, you, even though they are cliches, of course, most of those scenes are just you know characters you've seen before, archetypes that represent different sides, blah blah blah. But at the end, I'm like, kind of like, oh, John Favreau is floating into space. Uh, <laughs> I guess I don't know. I didn't even realize it was him at first, for a second there. Like it, it they were it's just interchangeable. Young. Yeah, yeah. It's very interchangeable and it kind of left me a bit hollow in that sense on an emotional level which is usually where those disaster movies try to be uh, stronger and i think that's why something like um, armageddon is so beloved almost as a classic i'd say at least here in italy i know it's fairly uh, loved even by my family but that's it's because the human drama hits very hard even though it's predictable and all of that what's but human drama in armageddon in, in armageddon it's just spectacle 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 no, spe- the father-daughter relationship sacrifices himself and uh cold play no aerosmith plays if if you if if your complaint is that deep impact has a lot of cliche when it when it comes to when it comes to drama, I'm not sure what what you what you regard for the, the drama and Armageddon could be because like if I just said that I just, said they're cliche. Like, you know, no 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 I I said they are. It's cliche, a cliche I of think. a cliche almost. Yeah no no but but, but it's focused. I cliche think that's squared. that's that's the. That's the thing that I like the most. Um, even Mission to Mars, actually, I did watch that for the uh, the Palma Marathon. It was the first time for me. I, I actually really liked that film, surprisingly enough. Um, but it is because it's about it's about the characters, about the astronauts, just them. I think if this were just the conspiracy thriller of Tia Leone or the coming of age, like it's four different movies smashed together. And none of them really comes to fruition. Like, I want to cry when Theo Leone is on the beach with her father. I want I that do. to hit as hard as it does. <laughs> Just left me like, eh. Like, I don't really know him. Like, it's, it's it's a nice scene, I guess. But, yeah, I just wasn't into it. I feel like the Elijah Wood, the Elijah Wood business, I feel that that doesn't belong. Like, that mm. seems to be a forced element. And um, so when a filmer in a disaster points me to these little dramas that largely are disconnected except there's this one unifying central catastrophe tying them all together i i want to understand and feel the connection and i feel that following elijah wood and lily sobieski is just random i get that they're sort of the middle class every person that i should care about but they're the future as well their children the hope for rebuilding the country (laughs) yeah but like that that's the one that feels most out of out of place to do and i also feel that there's a bit of a hatchet job done in the editing room on this i feel there's probably more with the astronauts that would have maybe worked and helped flesh them out a little bit i get that sense um Mm -hmm. i believe there was quite a bit cut from elijah wood and lily sobieski's story because test screenings didn't care for them either (laughs) and dugray scott's in there and for about five seconds and i think there's a whole other subplot that uh that he was sort of carved out of the final uh product as well i so i think there's a little bit of post-production management here trying to find the stories and maybe that's why nothing quite lands with me or at least that's a contributing factor Mm -hmm. is it possible 
if you were watching, if if I told you, like, here's this film that Lars von Trier made about, a, and it's a disaster film because it's about a comet hit, going go, going to hit Earth. You, would you also kind of just complain that it's just like, why is this all all this drama in here? I want the spectacle. Where's the spectacle? And the spectacle is like forty seconds. <laughs> I think it's very. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Melancholia. That's... I love melancholia, I but it's cool. One. It's by but, apples and oranges. Well, no, no, but the the idea would be, you're because you guys are looking at this in a the way like strictly through the lens of this is a disaster film film first and foremost. Not necessarily. I, I agree. This this is like three films smushed together. But I have a thing. It's on purpose. And then the only sort of saving, I mean, not saving, like a blessing in disguise was that nothing. Mimi leader want, really wanted to kind of just involve different perspectives and from different countries as well it's just like and they said like you have no money for this <laughs> that's 2012 so, basically uh, <laughs> yes so she wanted to make 2012 only with the idea of um but the focus is not on this on on on, on the asteroid or the comet is the focus is about on, on people having to change uh, or to find something in themselves so if you look at this at these cliche characters and say like, oh yeah, well, why am I following Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski for? Because they're sixteen-year-olds who have to grow up in a span of uh, in, in a span of few months, and then in a span of one afternoon, they have to say goodbye to their parents, for instance, and, and then take 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 a girl's little brother and say like, you go and run to the hills because shit's gonna happen right now. You're an, you're an adult now, and then the guy and the guy says yes, sir, and then just go and goes there. He has to grow up in in, in an afternoon. For me, this is this is the point of this film like these people having to kind of just okay well there's this thing in my in our lives that's going to just change our lives forever so we have to kind of just adapt to this it just so happens that it, it's what what the life-changing event is is a disaster film premise and then all of a sudden it kind of just shifts your attention to the it's like you're, you're almost expecting different cliches and these cliches are not delivered because what you really want is the big finale stretch into 55 minutes but it's not it's there for like 15 at the at the end and then there's a little mission in, in, you know, there's a little sort of Armageddon-esque sort of sequence on the comet for like 10 minutes and then just guy fucks off. But but the idea is, it's not a film about the mission, it's not about about these people, it's about the, the, con, the it's a it's a big picture localized. Like you're, you know, like when you're re- reading an article about a genocide that's localized to one kid. You're supposed to think not about this one kid in general. You're supposed to think about there are a million kids like this, so it's it's almost like a localized big picture. You have to kind of just pull out and look at the, look at the planet as it, as it is. There's millions of stories like these that TL, millions of Tia Leonis who have to kind of just get over the, her daddy issues and then forgive because you know no one's perfect. Her dad dropped her on her head. When, and and then he admitted this to her, or she stole his money, or whatever. Like they, you have to kind of just go and just let go of the of the of the, of the, of the small stuff, or I don't know, have to grow grow up in a span of an afternoon, or like as a dad, you have to just figure out like you're never gonna see your kid again. These these are these these are this is the the I think the crux of the film is in these moments, not in the fact that it's just oh they're just passing or fleeting in here just in and out of my in my in, in and out of my vision because what i really want to be watching is the disaster film and then i'm like getting it so i have a thing that this is also a part, part of this sort of conversation here 
No, I but I, I, I think it's actually the opposite because I, I especially I started off saying I don't like disaster movies, so I wasn't here looking for the disaster primarily. But do you like Armageddon, for instance, which is uh, which, I, I, which I would be I, the spectacle equivalent of this film, right? True, but it's been also fifteen years, so I don't know how it feels. Yeah, it's been a long time. I didn't like that either. <laughs> it's been a long time. I, I, I rewatched this this morning and then, or and yesterday night, a half of it, and this morning the other half. Well, there you like, go. Uh, but but not very good. <laughs> I, w- I was hoping again. I said before. I, I was hoping to connect more with the drama and the way you're describing it now. Even sounds better than it is in practice for me. Um, I think especially because like I haven't grown up with this movie. I haven't seen it many times because I know what it feels like to you know to really love something like this. And then it's it's I I don't know like I can I can definitely see that and I did feel all those things watching it um, on an let's not in, let's say intellectual level but kind of like yeah the kids are, are supposed to represent all of the young ones that are going to be orphans and the ones and this and the high people up the higher people higher up in power like yeah like I said before it's just it's it left me hollow to a point that like I. <sighs> I, I, I wouldn't even know where to point the finger, but just, yeah, it's not that I was hoping to get more uh, action out of this um, or neither a character-driven piece like Melancholia <laughs> as a, disguising <laughs> itself it, as a disguise. It's its, as its a own thing. It's, it's, mm, I, for, I, it's messy. Think <laughs> it's about this. This is, this is coming in 1998, in the summer, like two months ahead of a, a Michael Bay-directed uh, spectacle where... where Everything's blown out of all proportion. Where you have Peter Stormare with a Russian accent going, everything's made in Taiwan. Like everything's Iconic. just in your face. Everything and the drama's telegraphed as well. I love you, Harry. You know, it's <laughs> like your love will never fail me. It's just, or when when Bruce Willis presses the button, like he has, like he literally has like a three-second Michael Bay-directed music video in front of his eyes. Like everything's kind of just blown out of all proportion. It's it's a different type of like this is this is the era for that kind of filmmaking because you ha- when you think about beforehand you had Independence Day you had Twister the same year which is mm. arguably another sort of disaster film with with a human drama in it that's slanted towards the spectacle as opposed to the drama. I like but Twister. The, however, the drama in there is localized, and the main main difference between say something like this and Greenlight Greenlight Greenland <laughs> Greenberg. <laughs> uh, to me is that in Greenland you have one family, right? Which is yes. easier to kind of just say, all, I'm care, all I care about is Gerard Butler and his wife. And then they get split, but still the same family unit. They, they just, you know, like I have, to, I have to juggle this one drama and here I have to juggle four, right? And then I, I understand if this is like, I, I can't juggle four things in here. Um, so I don't know why this is now, say, acceptable in something like Armageddon. I don't understand because we have like 12 dramas in in there and then all of these are just basically setups for a joke it's like i don't want to pay taxes anymore or i just i just i, I steve buscemi just like, took a loan at a loan shark he's gonna have have his arms chopped off when he's co- when he comes back or something like this or you know uh, yep. yeah or like owen wilson's just i don't know who he is and i don't know michael michael owen clark wilson is in is... Armageddon? Yeah. Hmm? owen wilson is in armageddon <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So to me, this is this is this is that, and then just you don't get the spectacle 
you get the spectacle at the end and but the spectacle is not there for you to kind of just to ogle the the special effects it almost comes and goes because what what's to me it's interesting was the spectacle it precipitates it precipitates like now it's irreversible like these people have well some some of these people will have to just um, either perish or some things will change so to me this is almost like a stand-in for some an irreversible irreversible event in your life that would, after which none of it none of it will stay the same people will have to step up some people will have to just forget and forget the small stuff like this the film is about this it just happens to be dressed in a film about a comet and then also on top of that it's also about um i don't know weirdly enough in in smack in the middle of the 90s a film with a, with a female lead directed by a woman and where women are not just, you know, what was the law that you mentioned a few weeks ago? What was it? Ah, the, the Bechdel test. Bechdel test, yeah. There are these, there are these yeah, the, the, these people, these women don't talk about men. <laughs> it's all about other things. They talk it's about just... fathers. No, but they talk I'm about, joking, like, it, like for, for me, like, for, I don't know, sorry I'm rambling, but like for me, like Tia Leone is in, like, I know she, Okay, the film is not perfectly written, but in terms of how she, how her character is written, in terms of what she has to say, it's very interesting ri- written because her the whole paranoid tr- thriller side of things, you could she almost plays it off, manages to play play it off as though she knows what's going on, and everyone thinks that she knows what's going on, so they have to tell her what what she already what they think she already knows, but she's actually learning as she goes along because she thinks she's still going after someone's mistress, which is fascinating to me. She's like. They have this sort of scene in a um, in a hotel. It's just how you know, uh, people people uh, go pe- people go got this knew about Manhattan Project and they kept their mouth shut. And she she just says like, well, it's all it was only about the atom bomb because she actually thinks we're talking about someone's mistress, whereas the uh, understanding is that, well, it's it's something even more disastrous, right? But you can understand both ways from from the point of view of these these other people she knows from her point of view these these people are full of shit like what are they talking about right this i i don't know to me this is not an accident this is not like a m- mishmash of people of just lots of hands are getting into it and if it is it kind of comes together to me because it's, it actually makes the story compelling it's like there's there are certain things that you, you know I, c- I could take or leave like Vanessa Redgrave for instance is just a, a little bit of an add-on to me but like these these main characters to me they actually have successful arcs and I I don't know I, I don't know it works for I, me I have a bit of a whiplash thing like what you're alluding to like I think the Tia Leone story that could really fly I'm interested like everything you're just saying that's compelling that's interesting interesting um, but I have a bit of a whiplash thing going on because then cut to uh, Elijah Wood, cut to the astronauts. And I'm sort of back and forth. And to me, uh, I, again, I keep going to the Elijah Wood and his family. That stuff really doesn't You don't like him, me. do you? <laughs> I feel you, man. I, he was fine as Casey <laughs> in the faculty, like six months later, eight months later. Spielberg, uh, Emmerich, <laughs> but, Zolenfeld. But yeah, it's... There are elements here that could work, but I get like in Greenland, I love that that's focused. I love that I'm just following the one family. Yes, they get split up, but I understand what's going on. I don't have the whiplash effect where I'm looking over here. Now I have to follow uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Now I'm looking over here. Now I have to understand that the astronauts 
don't really like having Robert Duvall there because he's old. And then whip over here. And then we're talking with the president. And it, it just seems that these stories are so far apart and some of them are so sh uh, shallow to me uh, or at least underdeveloped or they've had too much that's been uh, trimmed out of it and carved out of it for it to make sense. Um, there's, there's these pieces that it doesn't, it doesn't land. I think there could be a very, very good movie here if we're just following this from the journalistic standpoint and the broadcast and, and then uh, parallel to that, you've, you've got the concern with the comet. Um, but to me, I think there is a commitment that this film feels to the spectacle because, you know, it jumps to space and it jumps to the, the nuclear bomb mission right on the surface of the comet itself. So that it does go after that uh, spectacle midway. And, uh, and then again, whiplash, let's go see what's happening on earth with uh, Richard Skiff and Denise Crosby and the families. And so to me, a lot of it doesn't land and it's because it is busy. And what would make all of those plot lines work? I, I don't know, but something similar that's happening at, at the time, like in terms of how you're describing it, makes me wish that Robert Altman were in charge because <laughs> shortcuts is a masterwork in blending those disconnected stories or where you've got these anthologies that are happening all at the same time. And you've got this complicated, um, you know, mishmash of story threads and thematic elements and characters walking in and out of one another's lives. Uh, that, that works here. It, it feels some of the stories feel maybe trice is that the word i'm going for maybe and others feel like there's potential there like the Taya leone thing i really do like her in this and robert duvall gives a good performance but like it is thin as well i also sort of like morgan freeman in here and i will uh say too that's a really good shout and probably deserves to be mentioned Jakob, what you said in a way there's a film a little bit ahead of its time in terms of its championing Taya Leone in the lead, Mimi Leader in charge of a big budget release, uh, Black President even as well. So there's there's some of these very uh, interesting, uh, very forward looking elements at the time. Like, and that probably deserves a, a show more than Fun I fact, MSNBC um, uh, wasn't their first, first choice. CN they approached CNN, they said, absolutely not, you can't use our name. And MSNBC were like, we're new on the block, we'll take any PR we can get. <laughs> <laughs> massive success but i'll say this like i mean you say oh it it jumps say to certain things for no apparent reason so it, like it, how we say well it wants the spectacles because you want because you want to talk about this you want to show, show the astronauts and then they're they're drilling and whatever and it's just like fascinating how these two projects by the way with Arm if you think about like side by side with armageddon how similar these people these things are in terms of plot points absolutely yeah however i, I would say this the the astronauts you don't even follow for the spectacle because the spec you miss out on the spectacle, you just get glimpses of it, right? What to me this is all about the same thing. This whole thing is about like you you're looking at this sort of disparate because the Emmerich formula, for instance, would be like let talk show me these four stories and they will eventually come together like they will all meet at the arc and then you know like the Russian will go engine start or. <laughs> or I don't know. Will Will Smith is gonna just meet with his wife, and then Bill Pullman's gonna just show up, and then every everyone's gonna have a moment, and they will go and fight the aliens, and Randy Quaid's gonna say, "Hi, boys, I'm back." Right? 
I've seen I've seen Independence Day too many, too many times. <laughs> anyway, but in here you don't get it. They're still desperate. Like Tia Leone does not run into Elijah Wood, and then Rob Bobby Duvall doesn't 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 get to land and then just hug someone you know that you've seen before, or like or just shake the president's hand. You don't get this. You don't get the sort of Billy Bob Thornton at the end just getting the sort of sticker from Bruce Willis at the end just oh, give it to Billy Bob or whoever I can't remember if it was Billy Truman was his name. <laughs> but you don't get these things because they're all completely disparate. What can, connects them is the theme, the theme of doing the right thing and and then just fixing something about the way you led your life until until the end. And when you say about, oh, it's all trite, it's all unidimensional because Rob, Robert Duvall's here for this reason and, you, and it's all, like you can explain it in one sentence. True. However, if you dig into this, you can say, well, there's a dynamic in there, which you don't even have to explain because it's just there visually. Like Bobby Duvall is there and then these young people are there. People are there, and they all have their like their pre 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 suppositions about one another. Bobby Duvall thinks that he's there because these these guys are there to be heroes, and he he needs to do the job, and he's the only person who actually can do the job because he actually has done this job before. Because it's you know, in contrast to Armageddon, it's not like they've done this in seventeen hours. They had a year and a half to do this. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the the young guys think we're actually going to do the job, and the old guys for PR because we, you know, we need to we need to we need to show the world that we're actually dependable or something like this. So they have this, these sort of nuances that they have to iron out, and they have to actually all say, well, uh, they they have to actually find out that they're wrong. Everyone finds out something something about them during the course of the film. Although you have to actually just be able to look for it because it's all delivered quickly. Because as you say, maybe this is a flaw. For me, this isn't a flaw that this film jumps between these narratives very quickly. So if it, if, if that's if that's the main gripe, I suppose, yeah, like if, 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 you're, if you're not willing to kind of just focus, well, if you'd like to focus on just Tia Leone, probably fair enough, it would still be great. I appreciate it on this on this on this level that I get to pull out and see how these stories come together without ever ever meeting. Does it make sense or it does not make sense? It does not make sense. That's no, all. it makes it makes sense. No, I, I I I get it, but it's but it's. I think in the end it's kind of one of those things where it's just different experiences. <laughs> um, because I I totally get what you're saying with this, but but still I, I don't I don't feel it with the film. Um, it's one of those things, like you said, like our flaws are your strengths and vice versa. Like I, I, I do think it's very it goes way too quickly over certain characteristics, over certain elements of the of the human drama and human element, um, when so much of it had potential. And as I said before, the key word is focus. Focus on something, and not even just to have it, the entire movie be just about that, but still kind of, you know, give me something here. But there because is focus. I, this focus is not on characters. It's about on... It's on a theme. Like a general, general theme, right? So but, but, yeah, like, they all yeah, fit under like, this umbrella. Good movies, bad movies, all movies have a theme in one way or another. I, I, I don't see it being particularly, at least personally, very, I don't know, like eff- effective in the end. Uh, how like yeah I don't I don't know like I'm just thinking about every single storyline that happens in here. Like yeah, uh, I mean to me the I, comparison I I, would be yeah. I I, I I I uh, like you were, were talking earlier about like some of the other movies and comparisons. Like I was thinking, why does something like even though I'm not a big fan of the movie per se, but why does something like Towering Inferno works? I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Mm-hmm. 
that's a long movie. And I was like, man, maybe this one probably should have been longer. Like you said, Randy, like, you know, if there are deleted scenes, getting more time with the characters, like maybe it would have been too long, maybe too boring even in some way. I don't know. But at least getting to know them would have worked so much better. Getting to know a little bit of the astronauts, getting to see more of Tia Leone, even though she has most of the screen time, I want to, be, I, I think, right? Um, it's different, because, something like Tower Inferno, because you do say, okay, there's a drama in there, as in there's a drama, because there's Paul Newman, and I think there's someone he, I can't remember if someone he knows is in the building. Um, or, yeah, there's a bunch of other actors, like it's all more then, interesting. But then there's a group of, of people that you get to follow, it's like Poseidon Adventure, there's just, mm-hmm. there's an ensemble of people who have to just now, they're in a video game, they're on an adventure, like they have to jump on chandeliers or do, do shit like this, right? Yeah, but like too, and what they have to do. Yeah, I think I I I honestly do, I honestly think that's kind of a strength. I think that's why most of the movies do those things because it kind of works, and why less movies do the deep impact approach. Because I think the only other one that comes to mind, I think it's just Roland Emmerich. I haven't seen that many disaster movies, but just you know, like your day after day after tomorrow is more interconnected. But like day after tomorrow is still fa- he always there's with Emmerich there's always a family. There's very few films where he's he's going to be doing a disparate sort of approach, right? Yeah, it's always a family. Th- yeah, but like 2012 has the family, but also you're following the scientists. And I think there's a, like a third storyline, maybe. I don't remember. Um, but still, I think I think. But they're connected of... because like the Russian boss is the guy's... Yeah, so oh, he's a driver of someone. So it's all, it's Might all connected. Might be predictable, but you cannot deny it's also effective. Well, I, think I get it. But then yeah. their, their focus is also on, on like the the family is there to anchor you to the spectacle. So so you wouldn't spend two and a half hours l- looking at CGI. That's all. That's all this is for, right? They're they're functional. In here, the families are not functional. They're, they these like Elijah Wood's not functional to the to the spectacle. <laughs> to the Bobby Duvall's not well. functional to this to the spectacle. Tia Leone as well. They're functional to their own little stories, and then. Maybe that's the problem because these stories are small and their arcs are small. And then comparatively, you could say, well, not much has changed. Like she just forgave her dad. Boo hoo. Jesus Christ. Grow up. Oh, here's a wave. Right. <laughs> but overall, if I scale this, scale down my own expectation, like, then it works for me because this, this, the spectacle is a, is a catalyst for these people to have their own little sort of, you know, like this sort of Kramer versus Kramer sort of realizations that just, you know, you can have a, you, ha- you can have a catharsis out of someone in the, in the, in an elevator saying you look great. That's all this is. And I'm, and I'm in tears, right? Because these are, these are the, the scale of the moments is this small. I would love for this film to work on me. Wait, it worked on you. Yeah. Like, it really would. Like, and I, I enjoy your take, and I love listening to what, what you're saying, and it's, it's very rational. But this stuff isn't isn't landing with me. Some of the Leone stuff does, and I like Maximilian Shell, and you know he's he's all right in here. And but it just just moving around to other stories, and like some of the other stories, just not not as strong. Like I. Um, is it Laura Innes? The is she the astronaut? Who's the female astronaut? Like is, she's is good, but there, I'm meant to care for her at the end. I'm meant to care for all of these people that are in the Messiah. I think that's the name of the vessel. Mm-hmm. I'm meant to care for them because they have what is supposed to be an impactful moment at the end, where their families come and, and say goodbye. And that stuff doesn't 
hit with me. It doesn't work because I feel Your I don't know them. It's made of stone. That's what it's what, what's the problem. It, it could be. I uh, yeah, I'm a bitter old man. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Innes, by the way, is the uh, Taya Leone's co-worker with a kid. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, she Who also has a great moment, by the way. This of like, are you doing this to help voice. me or are you trying to hold me back? And she says, yes. Yes. <laughs> But see, um, that's that, that's a character moment that you can just say, like, is this right? If you look at it the right the right way, probably is. But to me, this is a character moment. It's just fleeting. I, I I also think this is a case of just you know, and uh, because I said it before, but just I think you've you've just seen the movie so many times. I think about some of the <laughs> underrated movies that I love. It's like I've seen them so many times where I think I'm almost seeing too much meaning in some things. <laughs> it starts becoming overwhelming. Are it's you like you don't to just don't get it because if if you see like uh, Tom Cruise in that one moment, he raises his eyebrow and there's so much meaning behind it. See now you feel exactly what I felt when you were just saying like. <laughs> Why don't you like the Civil War in Twin Peaks Season 2? <laughs> and I'm just thinking I, like, dog shit. <laughs> I admit it though. I, I think it's like Stockholm Syndrome at the end of the day. You just spend so much time with some things. You just cannot detach yourself from it anymore. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing as well. Yet? How many times I've seen this? Yeah. In the last 10 years, at least five. Well, at go. least. And then before that, you know, a number of times. <laughs> Let's not put a number on it. But, but I like that. Them, yeah. I, I like your passion about it. I really do. But here's okay. There's this. I'm, I am passionate about this film, and I'm also <laughs> like this. We touched on this, and I really wanted to, to get your opinion on this, guys, about Mimi Leader as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. just in general. She came on to the, making this film, having directed only The Peacemaker, and I think an episode of LA Law. She was like a script supervisor beforehand, so she she was almost like a studio hand who just worked herself up the ladder until she actually got a, the big job right so can she I can just, just can i just throw in a comment in case it's it's relevant <laughs> i think the peacemaker was the first dreamworks production so i think potentially there's a yes i think there's a piece oh, in wow. there that's sort of a historic piece i think that was released I, 1997 fall. yeah so, it's not um, too long before this and dreamworks was trying to make it as its own studio at the time and this was the first you know completely because that was uh steven spielberg's venture i think if i remember correctly right that was uh katzenberg and uh david geffen i think mm -hmm. he was from the music world and spielberg yeah so dreamworks skg uh -huh. i rewatched it quite recently a few months ago by the way still uh, like peacemaker. peacemaker okay I and i haven't seen it like i i just know that it was it was sort of a big deal as a release. It, like, it wasn't a huge film. I think it made 40 million or so stateside, but it was one of those films that helped turn Clooney into an A-lister. And it was a big deal release because of DreamWorks. And Mimi Leader, I think, is connected to a number of moving parts at the time because then she falls into this project. And I think Pay It Forward was her next one. And that had a lot of, um, you know, I think that was released in a way that they hoped it would be in a an award season uh, outside shot. I think that is how that's release was set up because it's sort of big, I think, in festivals. Mm -hmm. At any rate, I just wanted to drop that. Wherever you're going with the Mimi Leader thing, I think that she knew the right people or impressed the right people yeah. at a certain time. So just No, I'm just, I'm just trying to scene. kind of get your opinion what you think about her as a director or as a as a filmmaker in general. I'm, just, I'm looking at her credits. She directed, what, like five features, a bunch of TV films, and she's mostly kind of active in TV. Like she did quite a lot of, of ER, uh, a few episodes of The West Wing here and there, and just things like this. China Beach? 
<laughs> um, so, and The Leftovers, she did like 10 episodes of The Leftovers, yeah. and then she's the executive on the morning show, but uh, in general, do you, is is she on your has she ever been on your radar as a filmmaker? Nope. This was my I, first time ever being aware of her to be honest. I've seen it, things that she's done like TV work primarily. This was my only feature, but like I think it's I think it's well directed all things considered. Like she gets good performances out of the actors. But uh, I think the astronauts are the only ones that are a bit weak outside of uh, Robert Duvall, but I think it's just like running circles around them, so they instantly look worse than they really are. Uh, but everything else, like I, I think especially when it gets very serious and very somber towards the end, works rather effectively, and I can see it, uh, you know, delivering strong emotions to people that are connected into the narrative as you are, Jakub. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, but but it's like I, I watch this. It's nothing where I think like I want to see more of what she does next. You know. For me, I, like I was completely aware of her at the time. I was following the mm-hmm. box office releases fairly closely around in the late '90s, so I was, you know, fully aware of uh, Deep Impact and her involvement and Peacemaker. And I paid forward. I think is the next one. So she was a, a bit of a thing, and she seemed to be emerging. Now was Pay It Forward. I wonder because DreamWorks they had it was only like a five or six year window where they were releasing things themselves and. And then they stopped. They maintained their uh, animated well, pay, and pay really it forward. Is Beller Entertainment tapestry and pathway and distributed by by Warner? Okay, Warner so that, one's, that one's not DreamWorks. I was just wondered if she was just reeling in tight with the the DreamWorks group. Um, I don't know too much about her except that she does pop up in TV. I think she's, you know, I think she's strong quality, but. But I don't necessarily see a voice in here unless it is working with with actors like, you know, because you can see that, you know, she she cares about the moments, for example, Robert Duvall reading the book, reading Moby Dick to uh, the fallen astronaut like uh, Oren. Like you you see that she cares about that type of thing. And that's the that's the type of thing probably where the, the focus lies. That's that's the type of you know, intimacy that she cares about from what I remember from pay it forward that, you know, Mm -hmm. that heart tugging type of thing. And she does it better than most. She does it better than, uh, say a cliche, cliche TV production. Like I think that she is very strong and serviceable in what she does, but I don't think again, because she doesn't have a hand in writing. Does she, does she do much writing? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think she is maybe in TV. It could be that type of discussion. Like Mm. sometimes you get filmmakers who are really good at what they do and they are able to run the sets well and get good performances, but they still remain as good as their script, right? Mm-hmm. They, they can't break that necessarily, can't break out of that with their own voice. I wonder if she's in that group. Now, I never did see uh, the Peacemaker. Peacemaker? Peacekeeper. Peacemaker. It looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, I like the Peacemaker. I've seen this a bunch of times and recently I just rewatched because it's so, I mean, for me, the Peacemaker and Deep Impact, maybe before I have I've seen it years ago. I haven't seen it since, but her films are insanely watchable for for me. But I, I would agree that maybe she doesn't have a strong voice. Like I don't know. Her voice is interesting because I think she also I think she she does carry a lot of um, in her part of her her voice is the people she works with, 
was in like I think the Peacemaker and this had the same cinematographer, and that's the I think it's the same. Yeah, Dietrich Lohmann, uh, who is known for having worked a lot with uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. So she kind of brings these weird people from way outside of Hollywood. And this is something that like Steven Spielberg did. And then like you look at her, look at her style, like what, how what the, how the film's directed, how it's composed, how it's put together with it, its own voice as a film. I see her looking up to Spielberg a lot, and I see her looking up to Spielberg in a in a way that someone like Edward Zwick looks up to Spielberg, and it almost feels like she's like a female Edward Zwick to me. Yeah, and she. She's she's not shy of like well, she will take the camera off the tripod she will she will just go run circles around these people in the newsroom where how how they go and just like wait graphics I need graphics <laughs> or stuff like this and then how she would enter scenes from like you know scale, scale just pull back from just personalize the scene and just pull back in and say like there's a crowd of people in here these are things that spielberg does and this is something that she tries to imitate and i think overall she does it successfully and then also what's always i mean what's always been the bane of steven spielberg was his sentimentality and i think this also kind of shows because i was honestly expecting you guys to be like oh and the violence at the end oh my goodness right where everything's coming together, all these people are just like, "Oh, you know, I love you, Daddy," and then just you hear the violence and the the swell in the in the background, and you're just like, "Can you be any more any any more schmaltzy?" Like, no, we're just about as schmaltzy as we need to be. Thanks, I'm crying. Okay, part of the genre, <laughs> it's, part it's, of the yeah. expectations. It's the melodrama, and then you know, like the it's she puts the mellow in the melodrama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I wonder what precipitated her transition to tv um because i i looked quickly at her filmography and it didn't seem like she became a creative force necessarily on a production it's not like she went right from feature films to the morning show like that's a common path now just in the the streaming age that someone with a good creative voice like uh, pablo lorraine went and did lizzie's story and you know so you get you get a lot more of that now but she just sort of jumped to tv and i just wonder if i don't want to say she was done dirty but i just wonder if it just became an easier environment for her to consistently find work uh potentially i mean i want to say i don't well i don't want to say i have a thing pay it forward bombed right I don't know, 50 million is on a 40 million dollar budget and I think 50 million is worldwide so I'm not sure it made a lot of money. No commercials, like no uh, critical success or awards. Yeah, so I don't know. So this is a speculation. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a situation because she's one of the sort of the 90s, well, unless you like count, you know, count in people like Elaine May or Ida Lupino, or Agnes Varda, or people like this, right? And it's like, well, she's one of the pioneers. She's the first person who graduated from the AFI Conservatory, for instance, right? First female, right? So she's she's almost a pioneer in Hollywood. Like, she's a, she's a woman doing blockbuster filmmaking, right? She's a big budget, she, being handed, like, multiples million of millions of dollars. Like, another one in that time would be probably just Catherine Bigelow and no, and no yeah. one else, right? Probably. And keep in mind too, she's debuting DreamWorks as a studio to the world. Like, like I say, that was a big deal, small, smaller production, but 
that was sort of a big deal. So the speculation of what I'm trying to say, maybe that it may be that the part of call it systemic sexism or systemic misogyny of, of, of Hollywood was, you know, you give, I don't know, you give Tim Burton $150 million and if he shits the bed, you'll be like, oh, okay, one strike, okay? You, you, we'll, we'll, we'll give you another one, okay? We'll, we'll give you another chance. She shits the bed once, we're done here. It almost like feels like this because overall, Deep Impact made a lot of money. Like if you look at yeah. this, it yeah. made bank. It just almost almost made sure that DreamWorks w was profitable, right? And then she makes another film and it's just like, oh, you lost us money. Goodbye then. Or just like, well, we can't trust you with this, that and the other. So she, I wouldn't be surprised if she said, fine, I'm going to go and find something else. Because she makes a jump to TV in early 2000s, like for reals, uh, as opposed to doing you know, like one episode here and there. She's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting less drama in here. So let's just focus here for a second, right? You know, you might be very right because uh, I forget who we were talking about it with, but there's an incredibly and seemingly unfair short leash on a lot of people. And her leash may have been much shorter. And I think, too, any success she had with Deep Impact, I think that she, there may be something there. She was going to be the scapegoat if it lost money and uh, she wasn't going to necessarily receive the kudos if it did. Um, you know, just except maybe that, oh, this is the highest grossing opening for a female directed movie. Like aside from those little s trivia types of sound bites, she wasn't going to be the benefactor of, of the praise. And I think that the studio is sort of nervous about Deep Impact. My memory is that its uh, release date was shuffled around a little bit. And I think a big part of the reason it made as much money as it did is it was released very early May, which at the time was unusual in North America, at least, because there was the Memorial Day weekend. That was the introduction to the summer, uh, the, the summer blockbuster season. And it was really weird to have a big film open before like May 20th or whatever the that mm -hmm. weekend is. Uh, and this was open, this opened in early May to a big box office. So that was a big gamble by DreamWorks to do that. So I think a lot of the money that it made came from, to be honest, uh, a variation of the marketing plan. You know, I, I think that quite possibly Armageddon was destined to be big. I think Armageddon was bigger than what anyone expected. Um, but I think that DreamWorks was fearful about Deep Impact losing quite a bit of money. And it did a lot better than maybe they expected. And part of that came from creative marketing, moving around the release date. Uh, those were elements that were at, at play at the time. I mean, well, put it that way. And just if, if I may quickly, I think you're right in that. I think the release was an effect of, well, Armageddon's releasing in July. And they knew Armageddon is going to just, if, if they release on, uh, in the same sort of vicinity, Michael Bay has much more pull because he's already, he had already The Rock behind his belt, which was a massive blockbuster. And he already had the Bad Boys film, which was already a massive success. By the way, Tia Leone was stolen from, from Bad Boys. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but 
if you if you look at it this way, so the idea of like, oh, let's move it to the beginning of the summer was a blessing in disguise, and I think was kind of precipitated by the fact that Armageddon probably had it had had their own. They they, like, they were try, trying to work around different blockbusters, and I think the other one that they were working around was Godzilla. Yeah, which was twentieth right. yeah. May. Was that May as well? Yeah. So I think they just had to buy themselves. Okay, well, we need to buy ourselves like three weeks to actually, and we can make our money back. But it turns out that Godzilla was a bomb, effectively, right? It wasn't a bomb. It wasn't as successful as they wanted because it's just, I don't know, made $270 million on that $150 million budget. So not exactly what they wanted. Yeah. But Godzilla was, it was still for that one week, the week that it opened was a massive deal and it was, no one wanted, no one wanted to go against Godzilla. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. They were positioning themselves away from films like that. Because, you know, like there, there will be situations like, well, after all, like they know what film they're making. It's just we're not making Armageddon here. It's a drama that can con people into thinking they're going to see a disaster film. And then they'll be just very surprised at the end. And the word of mouth could be could be built as such that if the two films are, are playing in the same cinema at the same time, people will go and say, go and watch Armageddon. It's way more fun, right? Way more rewarding, I'd say. Even I don't know if it's rewarding. It's like half hour. I mean, unless unless in terms of like more bang for your buck because you get to see th- thirty minutes longer film, <laughs> more longer spectacle for the same price. <laughs> I haven't go. seen Armageddon since '98 either, so I'll, I'll uh, watch, it, watch it this week. This weekend, just uh, uh, just just as a comparison, you'll see you'll see why why I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't like it i'm curious i do i want to watch armageddon and meteor sometime in the near future like i think that's a 1979 film because Ar- armageddon for like me just play like the dramatic beats in armageddon are cheap as in like this is like i'm watching a two and a half hour long aerosmith video right that's pretty much michael bay's 90s allure right and then that's what it is just like you know you could say well, there's a drama because there's, you know, Liv Tyler and, and Ben Affleck are just having these animal crackers and just, oh, Serengeti and, you know, <laughs> oh, going down south or going to the ample hills up north, you know, whatever. And, and he's just like, he's gonna, they're going to bang in it. Yeah. But <laughs> meanwhile, just Bruce Willis is in behind you know, behind the corner, just like, oh, they're in, they're in love, whatever. But ultimately, you could say, you have to excuse quite a lot of logic in this film. You have to excuse quite a lot of shortcuts because nothing makes sense. Everything's a music video, and then you can enjoy it on that level and say, like, I'm, I'm at, the, at the end of the day, this is what it is. So I don't, I'm, I don't have to buy all of it. Great, but for me, Deep Impact makes a stronger case for actually trying to put this in a real, realistic context. So, yeah, fair. I, but I would say Greenland takes that to the next level where does greenland just out of curiosity stack in your meteor movies oh i mean meteor i gave it four movies. out of five i really like greenland yeah like to I mean, me, for me greenland a is a five star saying. in the making you know like i need to watch it like 15 more times and then in, in, <laughs> in like episode like 1377 we'll be talking about greenland i'll be like guys this is amazing yep. that'll be an awesome pedestal because <laughs> yeah green greenland is doing everything you're describing everything that it seems deep impact wants to get out of the the human drama attempts but greenland really hits it and in my mind has a little bit of a michael mann aesthetic personally but um, because there's the handheld sort of uh yeah Yeah, it feels a bit like collateral there's a sort of verite sort of uh, Mm -hmm. angle to it 
meanwhile, meanwhile, this is this is Spielbergian, as in like everything's on a steady cam, every everything's a little bit more so, of, and it feels almost like I don't know, like a prototype to War of the Worlds in a way, <laughs> in certain scenes as well. But yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. the Spielberg one, yeah. Like if yeah, like think think about. I this. love that one. I think that one's great, except for the ending. Oh really? You don't like the end? No. The kid comes back and all that bullshit. Uh, I mean, but again, yeah. it's it's a movie where you're just following a family. Yeah, one. Well, you're 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 following following a deadbeat dad trying to step up to the plate, which is exactly what Mimi Leader is actually doing again. It's just like show, take, well. taking deadbeat characters and making them step up to the plate because Bobby Duvall is a deadbeat dad who's but just. You never like, get a feeling for that. Well, they yeah, just I mean, say it. <laughs> it's a movie where people just keep saying things to you. I never feel it. I never really? see Robert Duvall. Robert mm. Duvall comes on and they're like, you're, this, you're basically Buzz Aldrin, or whatever his name is, <laughs> from like it's, Super it's, Cool Everyone Knows You. Spur- Spurgeon Tanner. Yeah, it's like... Spurgeon one, something. One, one of the old guard. Everyone knows you. You're so beloved. And he's like, yeah, that's me. I, I know things really are because I, I have practical experience. You were young ones. You're living in video games and simulations. And that's it. Oh, uh, my, my wife is dead. I have children. It's like, okay, I, I still don't know you. So, simply because you're talking about yourself and other people are talking about you doesn't mean I know you. Like, it's, it's all exposition. It's all dialogue-driven in a way that's not necessarily organic. It works in the moment for sure. It didn't bother me per se, but... But those are the little things that kind of add to making this not feel particularly compelling on a, on an emotional level. He has a wife and a child. Oh, there's a newborn. Ah, he becomes blind. Oh, no. Poor man. I forgot. <laughs> what is that? Oh, okay. He's the one with the daughter. Sorry, I forgot for a second there. <laughs> like, it's all of those things. Like, yeah, it's like I said before, it, 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 all of those elements just kind of add up to one another. Where I kind of wish I got more out of it, and, and as, as someone who's not looking for the spectacle, who was looking for something a bit more character-driven, considering what happens in the first part, because the first part where you're following Tia Leone is fairly consistent. It's a good, I want to say, almost half hour where you're primarily oh. focused on her, mm-hmm. maybe even more. I don't know. Yeah, it's like forty no, minutes of all the presidents, man, pretty much. Yeah, maybe because like fifty minutes in, I, I looked at the time. That's when they go to the moon. Uh, to the asteroid, sorry, to blow it up. Yeah, so it's like so half of the exactly movie how, yeah. setting it up. Yes. But maybe it is me. Okay, maybe this is my bias because I have seen this like 47 times or something like that. Right? So I, when you see, ah, they only speak, like, yeah, sure, they, they do talk about these things because after all, there's it's a balancing act of trying to kind of just squeeze four narratives in here so certain things you have to telegraph but then they also telegraph a lot of stuff visually like in the party scene which is like oh this is just a cliche party scene but Duval has exactly 10 seconds with his sons and he has absolutely nothing in common with them and they're just like yeah, yeah that, okay well they're, they went to the military just like the, the, the dad wanted to like he's effectively not a good father to them right so but these are things that if you don't pay attention to this, maybe this is me just not, not having to pay attention to all the other shit. I just fish out these things easier. <laughs> it's kind of like you and just, you know, season two of Twin Peaks. But just like, but Icelandics are cool or whatever. Or, you know. So is Robert, Robert Duvall is estranged from his sons? 
I'm not sure if he's estranged from his... I get there's a gap in the relationship, but... I think uh, it's in the dialogue he says it as well. I think he's he's not necessarily estranged from his son. Maybe it's just... He has he hasn't been him. around because he was so fo- career focused that they f- they hold a grudge against them because he let his mom their mom wither away and then he when he decided okay well uh, she fell ill then he stepped up but it was too late because well they've already grown up so they have nothing in common with him so it's a bit of a this is like an extended drama condensed into a lot of assumptions about characters based on few winks and glances, right? And this is this is why at at the end, and they don't show up for their the tearful goodbye. That that speaks to us that well, he brought it on himself. Is that uh, not really? I because I think they're like... in they're in the army. Yeah. So they're, they're just serving. So it could be it could you could read it as such, or you could read it as well. You, you're, they're doing what they're, what they're told anyway. So that's pretty much what you, because well, you could say that they they wanted to go to the army to actually just earn their father's approval, and as a result of this, they they don't have a relationship, and as as a result of that, they don't even get to say goodbye because they're trying to win their father's approval by doing something else. So they're not there. So, but it's a lot of you know. Okay, I know I'm reaching in here, and I'm not. I know I'm like reading into this. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's a Godard movie. It's like it's very subtle. You have to look at the at all the <laughs> details in here. It's in the nuance in the performances are what makes the movie. No, because I I, of... I watched this film and I see like I see Mimi leaders behind the camera looking up to Steve Spielberg trying to prove herself to her. I, I see her trying to craft War of the Worlds ahead of like seven years ahead of him, or I I can see this sort of idea of i don't know just the post jurassic park spielberg just tr- coming through in there it's it's there and i see these characters as i know their stencils i know their cliches but they 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 work in service of the sentimentality that's that's at home with the sort of spielbergian mode of filmmaking and i appreciate that and then i don't understand why you're just so cold about this because your hearts are made of stone <laughs> Just shrug. <laughs> just, <laughs> said enough. Just, I've I've said what I think. I'm not a broken record. I'm, I'm, I'm really starting you. to with this conversation. I'm I'm really in my mind. I'm imagining a Robert Altman version where <laughs> it's more fluid, the flowing between characters, and there the, there's more of a depth that at least that I'm catching without having to see it another ten times. Um, like yeah, because I I do I love your take on it. It just it's not landing for me. I I agree. Off Steve the... Spielberg would probably cut down, cut out Elijah Wood and and uh, everything else and left Tia Leone in there. I I agree. This would probably just have have made a little bit more of a relatable experience for for most. I I can see Spielberg actually like keeping the same characters, but just changing the relationships with them. Like Elijah Wood's like. Tialione is like a strange son, or or brother, Bo- or maybe Bo- like Robert, Robert Duval is her father, or something like that. Like already by changing that, it's more like an Armageddon or a more conventional. Mm. Like, like I mean, this is a conventional disaster movie. We cannot lie to ourselves. It is fairly <laughs> conventional in many ways, but yeah. it makes it more in line with all the other ones that we've we've mentioned beforehand. Which I think it's like, yeah, that's not the point that they were going for to show a, a more wide variety of 
human experience during a time of crisis. But yeah, I, I can see I can see Spielberg doing something like that because it makes it more, you know, more dramatic because it starts caring about like if person X doesn't do this thing, then it also has this repercussion for someone they know and someone is. Like, I, I, it's simple uh, script changes. Actually, I, I don't want to drag this any longer, but who wrote the script of this? I've, I've forgot. Oh, I mean, I zoned out. actually, it was, it was like, the writer of Ghost, Bruce Joel Rubin, who won <gasps> an Oscar for Ghost, and Michael Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Who oh, wrote another... a player for Altman. There, yeah, and there's yeah, another there, guy. There's, there's oh. your Altman connection. Maybe he there should you have. Go. There's another <laughs> guy who also it. had had his yeah. hands in it. Oh, what's his name? Wasn't it the the guy that developed the worlds collide? Yes. The worlds collide? But they 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 changed it so much that I think he didn't get they the said credit. You're just you're just not connected enough to it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Matter, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, I get it. I get it. But you know, it, it is. Okay, it works in terms of like the sen- sentimentalized fun, but but if, I don't. Like when you say, "Oh, I, I think this is what they're going for," I don't necessarily know what what they were going for as filmmakers. Like what what they were trying to achieve. I have a feeling that there's a lot of happy accidents in here that they just ended up doing this just because. Maybe. Because there's always this element of just chaos and just that's what happens. H- however, I just I'm I'm there for the experience of just watching this. Young, I'm not sure how young Mimi Leader was. I just I'm 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 there for for she this. She was almost if, forty plus. Well, you know, Ridley Scott was forty three when he made Alien. Come on, mm-hmm. and he had a career after that. But you know, I wonder if there's something with Mimi Leader that she's really uh, attracted to the idea of developing this drama that you're talking about and and can make it quite work but i i wonder if her hands are tied not having final cut and i wonder maybe if there was a better three-hour film out there because we do have so much cut um one example vanessa redgrave there it really is a beautifully shot and edited scene with nice compositions where she's putting her makeup on and she's getting ready to kill herself it's really beautifully shot but i don't care i don't mm-hmm. like this woman and i i like i just don't care but it's it is a really sweet and well shot moment and i just wonder if there's more stuff in there that makes the drama hit the notes the beats for me that i i wanted to i feel there's probably a little bit more in there with morgan freeman uh that's cut out there's definitely Dugray scott he's he's an important person in taylor leone's uh, life you can tell by the final scene where they're drawing straws and running to the helicopter but that's like his only scene but like he's he's passionate the camera dwells on his face through the window of the chopper and it's just it's who is this guy except that i know that he's the bad guy in mission impossible too <laughs> <laughs> i mean but at this point i don't care because i'm mm-hmm. i'm laser focused on tia leone because she's in the process of making doing the right thing she's yeah. like okay snatching the baby out of this woman's hands because she's she's so flustered and she's like i'm gonna stay here because this is a happy place no just take the baby she's gonna follow just stick her in a chopper and just fucking go just because she's doing the right thing like career is not not everything i don't have to do this what i have to do is just i need to be able to live with myself even for five even if for five minutes i don't know <sighs> yeah 
it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to convince you that it's great. <laughs> Am I? No, but I love your take on it. I'm being very genuine. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You love passion. You know, I wish this were a three-hour film, and then maybe maybe I'm sitting there with you. Maybe. See, on in even with that, I'm just thinking to myself, is this... Okay, uh, uh, some, yeah, I remember what I wanted to say. Is this... Uh, can I blame Michael Bay for this? Because someone... Did you, have you seen this episode of South Park? Where the kids have to put on a show for Thanksgiving. No. Like from back I've in the all of South Park. From back in the day they have this show. They have like, oh they and they send, I think, butters to spy on the little kids to and to see what, what the little kids have. Uh and then what he brings me like, oh they have a horse and they have this and then so they they try to overcompensate, so they just hire like professional um, actor who just goes full Shakespearean on them. They ha- they have a turkey fla- just jumping through a flaming f- flaming ring. They have water fountain fountains, fireworks, and confetti. Meanwhile, like when they when when they actually watch the actual show, turns out that the little kids have a really crappy preschool show when the horse is fake and it's just <laughs> it's all dog shit. And then only Butters just is in love with this. And I have a feeling that this is it. Like someone was just had a spy inside Touchstones, just like they have Peter Stormer and they have these explosions. And it's like, and and the producers were like, you know what? We need to cut all this Elijah Wood shit and Doug Ray Scott. Like we need to put more astronaut astronauts in there. Like they are making these active decisions because they need to compensate <laughs> because <laughs> Armageddon's coming out and they have a horse and they have a turkey flying th- flying <laughs> through a ring of fire. Okay. <laughs> And then turns out that Armageddon's crap. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, it's, uh, if I was Mimi Leader, just like, I'm going to go and, because she, apparently she wasn't aware when she signed on that Armageddon was being developed at the same time. And just, I wonder if she just went to see this in the cinema and just saw like, wow, is this what I'm competing against? Wow. Anyway, yeah. I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time to move on. Final takes. Yeah, I'm glad I watched this again. This still doesn't do it for me. It's there's just too much whiplash moving back and forth to little character drama that I feel should be there in a way that I care about, but it's not usually there in a way that I care about. A couple exceptions, perhaps. Um, so the emotional beats are what this is lacking. Uh, we alluded to it that it it makes me just wait for the big impacts at at the end and. Uh, I don't like that. I feel that's far removed from what Mimi Leader is going through. And I, I don't like that I'm on two different paths with this movie. Fair enough. I mean, anyway, Nicole, tell me how much you hate this movie. Oh, I'll just say one thing that encapsulates everything I've said. Uh, I started this conversation with Deep Impact on Letterboxd, having a heart, having the like, the like for a recommendation. I've since removed the like <laughs> on my review. That's all I'll say about Deep Impact. I wish I could remember the film. There is a film that Roger Ebert famously, he said at the end, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to do this. And he sticks out his thumbs up and then he rotates it slowly for the camera down. <laughs> Gladiator style. Yeah. <laughs> Like oh, he should have done this with Hawking Phoenix style going like, <laughs> <laughs> just, just, anyway. 
was in Full Metal Jacket because he really didn't like it, did he? Uh, no, it wasn't that. And I'll have to try to find that, that clip again. You know, if I could give to this film two hearts, I could. <laughs> I would give it two hearts. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, but I'll put it that way. I, you, I, I don't have to explain myself anymore. I, I really like this film. I, it's, it's. I don't know. It's such an. Ad- I love. I love disaster films and I love dramas like these. I don't know. I love. I love when people step up to the plate. And this is gonna be a theme in three seconds from now. But um, uh, I just. I don't know. Me and Deep Impact, we go a long way, and I'm. I'm. I'm happy to have rewatched this, and I'll. Ha- I'll happily rewatch it tomorrow if I need to. So, split <laughs> that way. Um. Anyway. So time for something that you probably are dreading now. Top three moments from Deep Impact. Let's see if you can find three. <laughs> no, I got it's some. Doable. It's doable. Okay, so I'll I'll start with an honorable mention. I do like some of the effects. Yes, they're dated, but I, I do like right right as the asteroid's hitting right before the sorry comet. Uh, right before the comet hits, there's a nice capturing of the moment before the end. I like the shot of the the flocks of birds something is up you can see that and also the shoreline retreating that is just very ominous and you see sort of the drop off to the continental Such shelf an undertow, and, no? yeah that's, shit. <laughs> that's just yeah that's just very <laughs> creepy and ominous and i like that and quick shout out to young jason doring from veronica mars he's the kid who gets up at the assembly at the school and he says to Elijah Wood, now that you're famous, you're going to have so much sex. And I and he's a hilarious actor. In that's Veronica odd, by Mars. the way. And that's, yeah, that's completely an improv moment, I believe. So anyway, I didn't realize that was him. I remember that moment from ages ago. The bow ages. he gives as well. Just... Yeah, <laughs> he's great. That's just such a great a little clown. moment. <laughs> uh, so those are my honorable mentions. Number three. I like the spectacle that comes from that massive traffic jam on a hot, hazy day and so many cars. I just really like the look and the tone and just the the atmosphere that that creates. Great. I like Robert Duvall in this specifically. I like when he goes in the dad mode. So this actually is a piece that supports some of your arguments, Jakob, but he's great in this. I'm not used to necessarily seeing... um, Robert Duvall in this, you know, kind, soft-hearted, tender moment, but he's really good. So he sues after they lose John Favreau. He calmly soothes and talks down the Russian astronaut. It's okay. Like it's a really that is a really sweet moment, and it's done very simply. Um, he has that nice moment where he's calming the the blinded astronaut Orin, uh, mm-hmm. and he reads Moby Dick. Nice, connective moment, and a lot of it is in. Uh, Duvall's performance. So yeah, Duvall in dad mode is great. Um, and number one you for don't me, see, like he's a he's a dad to all these strangers, and his kids are just you know. Oh. You have a soft spot for dads in space, yeah. <laughs> I have soft spots for dads everywhere. <laughs> dads in space, <laughs> you know, if dad I, Astra, yeah. Interstellar. Yeah, sounds like a Muppet skit, but okay. <laughs> Um, my number one, Taya Leone, in the scene where she meets the president, there's a lot of good stuff in what's leading up to. She thinks she stumbles across this big, big case, and, but she thinks it's just an affair. It's a really tense scene where she meets 
uh, Morgan Freeman comes in and is in a, uh, she's in, meets him in a kitchen. And it's the kitchen passageway of the Ambassador Hotel. They actually shot it. That's where Bobby Kennedy was actually shot and mm-hmm. assassinated. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the whole scene, it's, it's filled with a bit of dread, seriousness, solemnity, mystery. Things don't add up because you can see just in how the dialogue's going and Morgan Freeman and Taylor Leone, they really don't under like Morgan Freeman knows what's going on. And Taylor Leone is, she doesn't know how lost she is. It's just a really well-written scene. Um, <laughs> she and, doesn't know how close to going to prison for like two weeks or so she is, by the way, if she actually she says the wrong thing, it's just, they'll just bag her and just put her somewhere in a room. Yes, for two weeks. That's a, that's another element where she, <laughs> she has, has to mind no her P's and Q's. But also, like, she still thinks it's some scandal that's going to, you know, bring a shitstorm down on the administration. But it really isn't that at all. It's just a really nice, well-written scene. And that's my favorite scene in the whole thing. How she steps up from there. Like, she then goes, like, oh, I need to research this. And she finds this of ELE. That's weird. By the way, how difficult was life before Google? Right? (laughs) Yeah, not only this, but you had to search with putting in the dots in between... I know, disgusting. But then she finds out, and she she actually you don't see how she connects the dots, and then she gets gets to ask the first question, and the questions she asks at the press conference are just spot on, the right questions. So so she steps up. It's no longer about her and her and and shining. It's about okay, well, it's bigger than my job. Let's do it right. Great stuff. Anyway, Nicola, top three moments. (laughs) It's a good scene too. Yeah, agreed. Okay, number three is the moment where they announce the pre-selection system, how all of that works for like uh, going into the to the arc to be saved. Um, I really like that moment. It's very it's very depressing. It's very sad. Uh, number two, I really really like Robert Duvall in general in this movie. I think he is spectacular. And I easily the best actor out of all of them. I, I we've mentioned Tillyoni; she's very good. Morgan Freeman, like very good actors all around. But I think he steals every scene he's in, and instantly elevates an otherwise forgettable character. But number one, my favorite scene, which you just mentioned, Jakub, is the White House announcement. Oh, where they go live. So nice. That 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 scene in general was just like yes, I like it. I like how it's structured. I like how. Uh, Morgan Freeman starts talking about the entire uh, arrival of the comet and how you cut back to the to the uh, newspaper offices and there's a guy writing the jingle and there's like, oh, we need scientists, people, uh, graphics. graphics, whatever. I need graphics. Like all of that. I was like, this is good. Again, this is early on in the movie where I was still thinking I was going to really end up liking it. <laughs> I was like, I'm feeling things now. Yes, it's good. I like it. More of this, please. See, it's your fault that like you stopped feeling it's Mimi Leader's fault. She gave too much too early and then she Aww. dropped the bucket. <laughs> okay. Jakub, your your top three. My top three. Um top okay. thirty. I said graphics, I need graphics so many times. So a special shout out to the graphics guy. <laughs> I like his energy. Um one honorable mention to Elijah Wood's dad. I mean two scenes he's he's really great. One 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 he just decides, okay, well fine, like I need to get um Okay, well, here's here's a watch. I need something to try. Like he need, he says, like okay, well, this is not gonna have a happy end. Like I I need to let him do. It. And he's a grown up grown up. Uh, he he needs to grow up right now, and he really wants to do this. I need to help him along the way. And so this is th- 
this is again dads in space. <laughs> it's just this is what you have to do as a dad, like you know, to just fucking let them go. <laughs> but the, the Elijah Wood dad moment that we is great for me is blink and you miss it. Um, when they announce that during the press conference, when they say the Wolf and Biederman comet is going to be uh, hitting the Earth and um, announced, uh, named after two astronomers, Wolf and Biederman. By the way, the guy who dies in the accident, that's a, a weird mirror image of, because they had the Shoemaker guy from the Shoemaker-Levy comet mm-hmm. as a as a consultant, and he died in a car accident in 1997. So, so anyway, that's just it. But... I think the envelope with the disc in it has his name on it too, doesn't it? Isn't that a further reference? I think so, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so there's a scene where in the in, they're watching the press conference and then the phone rings and Elijah Wood's dad picks up the phone, presses the button and gives it to his wife. Just, I'm watching, it's like, you take care of this. <laughs> I don't know. These are the type of nuances you fish up after you, after you watch it 55 times. <laughs> <laughs> okay number three elijah wood and sarah so <laughs> lee so taking the baby and just running up the hills just like yep yeah. like this is numero numero tres moments we were stepping up to the plate like we need to do this really love this really tugs at my heart number two seeing the tugs at my heart or meeting his son and this whole idea of just, you know, like, oh, he can't see him. And just like, I don't know, it always, I, I well up every single time. So good. But the absolute best is, and it's not even a scene. It's like the five minutes, like, finished of Tia Leone's arc where she goes and meets, like, she puts the woman in the chopper and she goes and meets her dad. And they he tells her he dropped her on her head, um, which probably explains why she didn't figure it out quicker or <laughs> something. <laughs> Uh, and then the cherry on the cake is when you say, "Oh, this of the everything with like the sea withdraws." You see this uh, this this wave, and this wave is massive, and they're tiny. And and she just just lets it out and just calls her father daddy, and that's that's all I want. This is yeah, this is dad's in space again, <laughs> but just this one little moment which just like. I don't give a shit about like I I don't care about like everything's forgotten like I you know please save me from this I I'm I don't know it's, it's such a complex sort of set of emotions that kind of just swirled in me when when these people die and it turns out they die for nothing because you know like they could have just run away and <laughs> but they didn't know anyway so that's my top threes I'm I'm a I'm a sap I saw so, I'm sorry I'm sorry it's I have okay. a soft I have a soft spot for dads. It's quite <laughs> all right. I was a mess in Coda, I'll say it. I haven't all seen right. Coda yet. I need to see it. <laughs> all right, bottoms. We're ready. Bottoms. Go for bottoms. Okay. I have I have a few mini uglies. So <laughs> when the FBI pulls over Tia Leone and they do so by ramming the back of her vehicle to get her attention, I feel that's a bit of an uh, aggressive attention grabbing maneuver i don't really know if the fbi would do that since they had three of them they could surround the vehicle in motion you know civilly um also during this scene where you have the roadway just littered with vehicles and it's a traffic jam and everyone's stuck no one's going anywhere there's a guy casually skateboarding between the vehicles as if he doesn't have a care in the world and i was like 
does this guy know what's going on? Like, this is such a weird He probably doesn't moment. even know they're filming. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> they got this the scene out of, uh, out of people volunteering cars and said, like, show up to this road. Like, we need to make a roadblock out of this. And, like, there's there's a food truck in there somewhere for, for yeah. the extras. <laughs> but they must, they must have known that, they must have known what it was for. Who would voluntarily yeah. sign up for a traffic yeah, jam? And just this guy just <laughs> skateboarding. It's great. Yeah, know? maybe it's incidental. Anyway, it's a good day. <laughs> um, another mini ugly. There's this brief moment. So uh, Duval is, of course, you know, thinking and strategizing the the whole time. To well, is there anything we can do now that our mission is mostly over? But it, maybe that we can do something about the big comet. And we have this brief moment where we see him brainstorming and we know he's thinking cause he's sitting there and he's got a red crayon and he draws like a semicircle and then instantly scribbles it out. It's like, and huh, it's what, can, he, he what can the, we do? He draws the orbit of the, um, know, of, of the comet the and, trajectory. Just, trajectory like, and just draws this X and he's just, ah, yep, then he scribbles. <laughs> oh no, that's no good. <laughs> so that's, it's just, a weird way to show me brainstorming. Anyway, oh, that <laughs> idea will never work. <laughs> okay, on to the actuals. So, yeah, the astronaut goodbyes. I really, the scene, it, it leaves me just not liking this movie because the astronaut goodbyes, they, they bring mission control, brings in the families to have these brief prehistoric Zoom calls with their loved ones. And I know it's a payoff to the barbecue scenes, but everyone has this moment, uh, you know, oh, what? Oh, I can hear my son, but I'm blind. I can't see him. And this is such a tender moment. And like, what really? I don't I haven't spent enough time with him to be engaged. And there's another guy that says, oh, yeah, I'm going to die. But you keep going to church. Like, I know I told you at the barbecue. I hate going to church, but you go to church and I'll be there. I'll haunt you don't care <laughs> you know and then the lady astro- astronaut who's the actress i f- clearly forget it because i thought that was laura ennis but anyway there's her daughter comes and says i love you mommy and it just it's just such a phony moment like not phony but it didn't earn it like oh. gosh i should care i didn't like i know the intent quite clearly but i didn't spend enough time to you know for this to be in the climax of the movie so anyway there's that number two the depiction of gravity at times here. So I appreciate the technique of the camera bobbing back and forth and the actors, if they're upright, you know, they just sort of rock back and forth themselves. And I'm guilty of that. Like I rock back and forth, just, you know, thinking of when my kids were babies and I just find them just rocking. That's clearly the direction, but there's a couple moments, one where I think Robert Duvall, he's, he's clearly just sitting on a chair uh, there's no straps. He's just sort of sitting there. It's just right before uh, he reads and he sets down his red crayon. Like He sets it down. He go- then he goes down and there's a big effort to make it look like there's weightlessness because, you know, he descends down to another level to see Oren. But he just takes Oren's eye, ba- eye bandages off and sets them down beside him. So there's a few elements there where the depiction of gravity didn't really work for me. Nothing like what I remember in Space Cowboys, because I think that the actors in that just sort of lightly wave their arms around to simulate gravity. I mean, it's not like they're going to be always in this soft plane, just simulating. You know, it's... Yeah. 
Because you know, like um, your hair, you would have to like float like underwater yes. and stuff like this, right? Like, you can't do this. You have to suspend your disbelief, okay? Just live a little. <laughs> Open your heart for me, okay? Do this. Thing. Yeah. Just, was um, it, when, when I about, tried to open no. my heart, not for yeah. Mimi, but for Lily. Elijah Wood, God love him. This is my bottom of the bottom. Elijah Wood goes back to get Lily Sobieski. And this whole scene doesn't work for me. I get the idea. I'm, I guess I'm okay. Like if I have Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski in here doing what they're doing, I guess I'm okay with this scene where he has to go back for her. But he doesn't know where she is. So he goes to her home and surprise, she's not there. There's this whole mini drama where Elijah Wood... He doesn't, still doesn't know where he's going, but there's a whole mini drama on where he has to unlock a bike lock to free up this dirt bike. And he's going through these jars to find where uh, Sobieski's dad keeps the keys. And it's just this whole thing like, why are we doing this? Why can't he just know where she is and just go there? Why are we wasting all of this time going through mason jars? And this stuff is foreshadowed. So, like, there's a whole scene where we have to learn where the dad keeps the key. It just none of it works. It just. I thought yeah. you'd be a, a critic of like who puts these who glues jar lids to the bottoms of shelves and just hangs them up. Yeah, that was very nearly on a, a on a <laughs> list of good ideas for me. <laughs> I sort of like that e economy of space. <laughs> You look at the sort of the layout of this garage, and I'm just thinking, like, it's good he bites the dust, right? Like, what a fucking. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm just not, I'm just not brave enough to suggest to my wife that's how we should be storing our nuts and bolts. Like, it's a good use of garden, space. You have to take the jar and screw it on every single time. You, oh, it's it's easy, but it's it's out of the way because then you've got your shelf space underneath. Yeah, that was that was nearly on a list of honorable mentions. You don't really like have that. your shelf, shelf space because it actually takes up the shelf. It just hangs this much above the shelf. <laughs> Depending on how high the shelf is, yes, true. <laughs> uh, you know, and by the way, Mary McCormack, Chuck, that's the... Uh, oh, show. yes, okay. Thank you. That's the pilot. Anyway, Nick, bottom threes. <sighs> Number three, there's this scene in school with Elijah Wood and just where he's talking about like, oh, I'm famous now and I guess it sucks that they thought it was dead and the other guy's actually dead, but yeah, I like being famous now. And one kid just stands up and yells, you're going to have a lot more sex now than anyone else in our class. Famous people always get sex. And they read that it's an improvised line. Mm -hmm. I can see how an audience really liking that one, but it just pissed me off so hard. Um, number do you know two, Veronica Mars? Sorry, Nick, do you know that show, I do. Veronica Mars? I haven't seen yeah. it. I've seen a couple of episodes. Okay. Okay. Is he the one who's playing Veronica Mars? Yeah, he's the ah, he's sort of the cool rich kid. He's really good at it. There you go. Yeah. Number two, I just I I think generally speaking, the cinematography is good here, but the shots from inside the visors are unintelligible. They're so quick, so claustrophobic, but not in a good way. I cannot tell whose visor we're looking through. I you cannot tell what they're looking at. Oh. No, it's just white and chubby. 
Uh, just, you know, it was like, I can say, I can tell what's happening. Exactly. And everyone's in a big space. Bobby Duval has a bit of a beer gut. But he just sits on a chair, bless him. But just, yeah, all, all of those shots, I just didn't like. They were very, I don't know, just held for too little, just odd angle. Uh, I can appreciate what they were going for, but it doesn't necessarily work for me. Um, but lastly, like you said, Randy, just just Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski in general. I don't know why. I, I There wasn't much that I found laughable in this film, but like they, they get married. Just so she she can get she can go stay with him in the ark uh, together with her old family and of course they cannot do that because ah uh, things didn't work out as planned and so she has to be outside and then he runs back to her like all of that just no like you I didn't get find it. that a com- you didn't find that a commentary on the refugee crisis <clears throat> well so no, ahead of its time you know, like buy yourself a wife and yeah <laughs> from abroad get the green card you know yeah. <laughs> Live a happy life, yeah. Just yeah, all of that can go. Either you make it, like this is the only element of the movie. I think like the other things can work together, but I think you either make a movie that's just about the two of them, or you remove them completely because they don't add anything of substance, in my opinion. No, yeah, cool. Are you ready to be a bit negative? Do you guys? Yeah, I'm I'm always (laughs) ready to be negative. Don't worry. But there's one one little wrinkle. You guys haven't, like, I've rewatched Armageddon for this as well. And I'm just, you guys are like, oh, this is so phony. Like, look at these relationships. And I'm like, there's a guy in, I can't remember who this is, um, in in Armageddon. I can't remember the actor's name. The guy who has an estranged son because he's divorced from his from his uh, from his wife and he, and he doesn't really want like he's not allowed to be close to his son. It's like oh who's this man? He's a salesman and he just like swallows it and just and at the end, actually next day they see them on TV and it's like I'm gonna I'm, I have something coming up and then they see them on TV and then he's wearing this NASA spacesuit and just this man is not a salesman it's your daddy and it's like all he needed to show is just do something do something out of himself like just make something you know and all of a sudden like oh now he's worth your you know this christ some people. It sounds so much better than anything in deep impact <laughs> i'm you know i'm not mad i'm just disappointed <laughs> i'm a tease i'm a tease oh my goodness that's such a dad thing to say <laughs> Anyway, but I, have, I have no love for Armageddon. I saw it in theaters in '98, so I yeah, I'll try to rewatch that soon and report back. Like you just need to find like a day and a half to watch it because it's it's literally like I don't know, it's like a Love Diaz film because it's just <laughs> <laughs> this holy shit takes ten hours. To... I love you, Harry. Anyway, okay, bottom threes. <clears throat> Number one. The Moby Dick, Moby Dick that the um, that Bobby Duval reads, definitely abridged. It's like this thick. <laughs> I'm like I, I read Moby Dick. It's fucking this thick. <laughs> it's like a Bible. It's horrible. It just took me months to finish. Um. Also, oh yeah, I know. Like a little honorable mention. I just want to say in the press conference scene. Just the conference scene is great. As there is, however, I just have to point out that Jenny Lerner, Tia Leone, hogs the spotlight for almost 
80% of it, they, someone else asks a question, <laughs> the president fucks off. Like, if someone did this to me as a journalist, I would, I would probably break this woman's legs. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you get to ask like four questions. And then this guy asks like, so what are you doing for dinner tonight? And the Morgan Freeman goes like, hot dogs, and he leaves, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> uh, number two, the codes on the spaceship. And by, by the way, like the visor scenes, I want to say a little bit of ahead of time for sunshine and you know, with this, these miniature cameras. Anyway, codes on the spaceship. Like they have one, two, chalice, baseball, three. <laughs> like what language is it? I don't know. Is, it, is this Russian? No, it's just random symbols. They have these, I don't know, these keyboards with random symbols. It's stupid. And the worst, in the final shot of the film, I don't know if you noticed, the president delivers the speech. It's just like, you know, the world will, re will rebuild. And the camera pulls out and you see the capital and everything's being rebuilt. And everyone's cheering, but the cheering's ADR because people can't yeah. be fucked. <laughs> Did you notice? These people are just standing there. So when, can we, when do we get to go home? And then the cheering's just kind of just ADR'd. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> it's a... Anyway, so... I don't even know where you can watch this. You can rent it or buy it if you please. It's on DVD, on Blu-ray. It's everywhere. It's available. Deep Impact, you can watch it. And you should watch it 55 times to to fall in love with it. That's how many times you need to, to watch catch it. Up to <laughs> catch up to Jakob. <laughs> uh, it's on uh, Netflix in Canada. No shame. There's no shame in loving this film, okay? It's, it's on Netflix in Canada. I'm not sure where it's on Netflix somewhere in the UK. Let me quickly check because I didn't do my homework. Uh, because I'm flying by the seat of my pants, as we've established months ago. Oh, it's on Netflix in... Oh, I'm on Canadian Just to Watch. Never mind. Uh, in, the, in the US, I think it's where? It's on HBO Max. There you go. You have to go to HBO Max. And then in the UK where... Because I have a copy of it, so I don't have to. But you still have to rent or buy it anyway. So that's it. So, <clears throat> that's it. We've done it. Boys, where can we find your social media? Randy, do you want to go first? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find me occasionally when I write an essay and drop it off with clapperltd.co.uk. <laughs> when you said essay, I just reminded myself of this other episode of uh, South Park when you like, you need to write your essay. And then Eric Cartman wrote a letter to uh, his friend in the in the Mexican gang. He's like, I wrote my essay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, essay. <laughs> so many connections. What happened, man? Uh, Where is this coming from? What? <laughs> Never. Don't, don't mind me. Anyway, I'm not. <laughs> Nico, where can we find you? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at nikibar97, and there you can find links to my link tree where you can find everything that I do, my short films, my videos, and also the Death by Adaptation podcast where every two weeks, me and my buddy, Johan Gledo, compare and contrast one classic book and compare and contrast it to its cinematic adaptations. I said compare and contrast twice. I just realized. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> there you Apologies. Go. Okay, you can find me, talk about film on Twitter, Jakob Flash Letterboxd, flashonfilm.com, clapperltd.co.uk, whenever, whenever I feel I've written something worthy of, of, of being there. Anyway, follow the show at Uncut Dreams Pod everywhere, which is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, <clears throat> and head over to our website, uncutdreamspodcast.com, to find the back 
a catalog of everything we've done, which includes our main show, the Patreon shows, bonus times, mini retrospectives, and our David Lynch marathon, which is all and all the bonus shows are available on our Patreon, patreoncom pod where three bucks a month unlocks access to everything we have in there. Also, if you'd like to support us with a one-off donation, pod is where you can find um, a way to do so. And if you don't feel like spending money, you can always leave us a review or rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And uh, that's about it, you know. So stay tuned for next week because we will be starting our August. I don't even know how to pronounce it, so it doesn't sound stupid. But, you know, like our August of John Woo. Uh, and we will be starting with hard target with so get ready for some there's some mullet time because <laughs> uh, uh, oh, it's yeah. going to be great and if all goes well we'll have a, we'll have a few special guests for it as well so catch you on the flip side stay tuned until next week and I will help you have a fabulous day bye bye <laughs>